And just like that, we move into a double hitter in the Formula One calendar. And of course, Singapore is this weekend, Japan afterwards. And it's going to get very exciting as we are looking at the possibility of Max Verstappen taking the championship already. That's just a little intro into what you're going to be hearing as we talk about Formula One on F1 Track This. My name is Kriya Gangia, and I'm super excited to have a great team of panelists today as we talk all things Formula One. Uh, a regular voice, Matthew Kanai, professional automotive and lifestyle content creator. Matthew, how's it going? We're all good. We're ready to get some some racing this weekend. And hopefully some championship winning. Yeah, lo- lots to talk about, which we'll unpack <laughs> and uh, some interesting things to say. Okay. All right. And then to argue uh, profusely with Matthew, no shame, I'm joking, uh, to give us his inside information, we've got Prince Induini, who is a motorsport analyst and an all-round amazing guy. Prince, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, since you retracted on your arguing thing, I guess I'll put my bat away now. So it's, I guess it's, it's kumbaya. Hey. <laughs> I would love to see a, a, a battle between <laughs> you and Matthew happen. I would love to see it. Oh, bring it. I'm ready. <laughs> Ma- Matthew sounds so chilled. It's, I, I highly doubt it, but that would be fun though. So let's dig into it. I think so as well. Let's get straight into it and let's talk all things Formula One. So there's a lot to talk about this weekend. And of course, one of the big things is it's eight more races for the season, the 2023 season. And this is quite important, Matthew, because now we're getting into the crux of the matter. We're looking at championship wins. We're looking at constructor wins. All of that is starting to come into the into the light. Look, I know the spotlight is all on Red Bull Racing and how they can win but the other thing people need to keep in mind is that no matter where you finish in the championship board that's how much money you get and that's how much team money goes into development so there's a lot happening and a lot to play for in the midfield so we all know who's going to win driver and constructor but the rest it's serious money and that money brings a lot of upgrades and before the big rule change in 2026 a lot of teams will want to try clutch for a leaderboard change so It's going to get juicy and you're going to see a lot of teams throw everything at their car. We saw Ferrari throw everything at their car because miraculously it just performed like no one's business. But besides the Tifosi, we'll see lots of updates from Aston. We'll see stuff from Alpine. We're going to see a lot of teams throw their all just so they can clutch a few points to get up that leaderboard. You know, something else that I think was also quite pivotal uh, in terms of the last weekend that we just saw was everyone has been talking about contract renewals. Um, and it's been a topic that we've been speaking about for the last three weeks uh, on F1 Track This. And Prince, to see Mercedes come out, uh, confirm both their drivers for the next two years is extremely important as well. No, absolutely. If if they want to put any respectable challenge in the next couple of years to Red Bull, and anyone else who may swing at Red Bull and establish themselves in the top three, top four, they need teammate stability. They need a clear direction as to who their lead is and who their strongman is in terms of setup and guiding the direction of engineering. And then who saves the day in cases when we don't necessarily have the best setup when it comes to the lead guy. And George Russell and Lewis Hamilton have proved to be a perfect combination. Relatively, of course, they haven't produced back-to-back wins, back-to-back polls, as in the time of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. But I think George Russell stepped into that role well enough, considering the circumstances of how the pendulum swung 
in favor of Red Bull and Mercedes were in essence or have been in essence in the dark, um, relatively speaking, during the turbo hybrid era. So that stability is something that a top three team absolutely needs. And some teams are working quite hard to establish that. I think uh, Red Bull have their own kind of design <laughs> in terms of how they do that. Um, Ferrari have, I'd, I'd say, something relatively stable. But of course, Carlos Sainz does buck against the trend when he needs to and sort of um, state, stake his claim when he wants to, to, to take the lead at times. But that kind of stability is vital and it's an important point to, to, to make sure is, is cleared and done with at this phase in, in, in Formula 1. Prince, I love how you, you've pointed out 1-2 in Red Bull, 1-2 in Ferrari, but you haven't told us who's going to be 1-2 moving forward in, in Mercedes. Uh, well, look, with Mercedes, I, I don't think it's much of an argument, to be honest with you. As a, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, as a Mercedes fan, I think it's, it's point blank as to who the, the lead is there. And, and that's definitely Lewis Hamilton. It's just now... Look, the PR machine in Formula One is, is, is or rather the hype around the PR in Formula One is the fodder for the sport. No one does PR like Formula One in any of the teams. And I think sometimes there are a couple of things that are thrown out just to rile us up and get us excited and arguing who's better and who isn't. But the, the facts speak for themselves. And I think reputation aside and having been in Formula One for so long, that aside, I think the present day is speaking at the moment, Lewis Hamilton has 60% of the points hole, 60% or more of the points hole for Mercedes, and he's outperformed George Russell uh, just by uh, just just by a short distance, I think, in qualifying as well. But at the moment, he definitely has a claim to that. Without taking the easy route and saying he's a seven-time world champion, he's clearly the number one at present. You don't have a situation where, for example, um, it's sort of neck and neck. I think with Ferrari, it's even harder to say who the number one is at some point but i think it's it's pretty clear-cut when it comes to mercedes matthew on the same page here or are we looking in the fact that mercedes might be focusing on where their future lies and their future goals i think the future is a very very important thing like lewis hamilton's contract situation's always been making headlines since the end of 2022 um and we finally got the the unsilenced after the Italian Grand Prix saying he's only going to get a two-year deal. The same with Russell. We were all expecting a multi-year deal for Russell, but uh, we only got two years. So if you look at the current contracts, I can only see people getting contracts until 2025. Otherwise, there's a big question mark. A lot of drivers only getting till end of 2024, some till 2023. So in the case of Mercedes, I think they just want to see how far they can push or get sort of titles and constructors in the next two years for the current regulation because nobody's been able to crack that formula yet besides Red Bull. And 2026 comes, there's a massive shift. And you also got the F1 Sport Directive who's now come on board and said, look, we want to now change the rules already. We want to try and make everything quite closely standing for the drivers and the cars so that it can be quote-unquote fair racing. So there'll be change until 2024. That's going to shake things up. Then there'll be a brand new change for 2026. So I think Hamilton, they, the team and them are going to try crack their eighth. If they can't, then I don't know what happens to him beyond 2026. And the same with Russell. I don't see a lot of inspiring confidence in him, especially when they haven't signed a multi-year deal. Because currently the only person with the multi-year deal is Max. He's signed till 2028. But for the rest, 
I think there's just that little bit of two-year hesitation that they need to get right. And if they can't crack it, they'll focus for 2026. So I don't know. Um, Merck just have to figure things out. They've already done three blunders this year. So if they do a fourth, then I don't know. Look, this 2026 deadline or, or end of 2025 deadline is really starting to stress me out. I feel like the change that's going to happen once again in Formula One is the one that we had a couple of years ago, which also gave me a lot of anxiety. And I think it's just going to carry on as we get closer and closer to it to see how those cars are going to change, to see how the setup is going to change. And I don't know if all the drivers that are currently on the track or on the grid are going to be able to keep up with that change, Prince. Well, I guess that's how they earn their bread. I think that's what makes them Formula One drivers and people who are at the pinnacle of motorsports, just how well they adapt. And I think we just may see and be reintroduced to the cutthroat nature of the sport again when it comes to how quick a driver can adapt and how quick or rather how patient a team is with his inability um, to adapt at times. I mean, you've seen how Red Bull does go through their, their roster of talent or seek elsewhere to, um, to find a, a way to 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 build a stable team dynamic or have someone adapt to a car quicker so that they, you know, their teams can get running in, in terms of Red Bull themselves and Alpha Tauri. You've seen that with Nick DeFries, Alex Albon, um, Pierre Gasly, a good chunk. I was, I was laughing to myself that a good chunk of the talent in F1 at the moment has been through Red Bull. Um, it's quite, I think it's a good thing and also quite interesting mm-hmm. to observe. But um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I don't see too much of a shift. I think, look, the rhetoric is good to say that there is a change that's needed and they are listening to the complaints, for example, of the likes of Carlos Sainz, who was saying it's so, so much more difficult to follow and we're pretty much back into 2022. Um, but at the same time, you have to consider how quickly can teams pivot around to, to design cars to, to accommodate these changes given budget limitations, you know, because you've made a smaller room for them to play in and it's a lot more difficult to go full tilt with the kind of budgets that they have. So prioritizing a shorter deadline for regulation changes and adapting to that is a lot more difficult of a trick than, say, two or three years ago. So I think that's where my my interest lies, at least for the time being, while we realize what for now is a theory that there is going to be a regulation adjustment coming in to make racing closer. All right, so we'll keep discussing this and keep unpacking it as, you know, more developments unfold and as we obviously get to that 2026 deadline. Um, but let's talk, let's focus on the now or the, the recently passed, let's call it that. And let's uh, put our brains back to Monza, uh, Italy. It was a fantastic race um, to have Max get another win under a belt and a step closer to the championship and this record that we are waiting in anticipation to get, Matthew. It's an amazing achievement for him. Look, not just for him, but also just, you know, when people take out the dominance out of it, it's it's crazy to see that a team and a driver can work so well to get that much consistency. They've got everything right from the beginning. And, you know, as boring as people are saying it is, it was actually quite impressive. You know, he's just been consistent. He's one with the car. So as expected to see him there. But again, you know, it shows when people have enough driver hunger they can throw an upset, which is what, what happened. We didn't expect that resurgence from Ferrari. And they, they got it. They got their man on the podium and, and they, the Tifosi were going wild. But for Red Bull, it was just another class, clean weekend. 
it's like seeing your favorite top performing athlete. You expect it from them. You know they're going to do it. They might get a few challenges, but, you know, consistency is key. So phenomenal from the team and from him. Let's talk about um, Red Bull adjacent. Let's talk about Alex Albon. What a weekend from him, Matthew. I mean, he came out of nowhere and really shone last weekend. To be honest, I think he's one of the most slept on drivers on the grid because he's able to extract so much. He's getting a top 10 car that's basically a back grid car. No one expects that Williams to be fast because, yes, it is Mercedes powered, but they don't even have near as much funding as Aston Martin or as Alpine. And Alex is getting the most out of that car. Logan just isn't, and he's, he's sort of getting there. But Alex is a huge talent. Alex came from the, the Red Bull Academy, so he's got the skill. He's, he's being put through the paces. He went through a little bit of a, a dry season, but he's been absolutely phenomenal. The last three races, he's been incredibly, incredibly performing as a driver. And I'm not surprised that in the next couple of years, uh, when, when things change or if regulations change, someone might snap him up to a higher team because if, for example, Williams gets more funding, that could be a top eight team. Um, and, and that's where they are currently with them tweaking it. But Alex is just doing a fantastic job. And I think he is slowly becoming a, a middle order threat, whereas people thought they'd just fight with the, the horses in the back. You know what? I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with, with by him. I was a little bit confused or concerned when he had his his let's call it tumultuous stage when they were moving him around and replacing him, and there was a whole lot of drama around him. Um, but I always kind of you know had had a liking to him. I liked his driver's style. I liked his quirky hair on the grid, um, and it, he he always pushed something a little bit different. And to see him as one of the, I would call him one of the leaders of the rookie pack at the moment, Matthew, or, or Prince, you can even jump in here, is really, really impressive for him. Absolutely. And he he's taken the short end of the stick when it comes to that generation, the, the, Twitch, the Twitch generation, so to speak, because he didn't necessarily have the, the, the headlining team or stable to coddle him and almost guarantee him that lead seat or back him as as the lead man, so to speak, for the future. So to see him still bounce back after that and getting and getting taken out of the sport and have to wait on the sidelines. In, in fact, the way he got into the sport to begin with, coming in from Formula E, um, impressing from that far out, um, said a lot about him. But for him to still still manage to come back after a second time having to be on the sidelines, I think speaks volumes of, of his ability um, engineers give this 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 have an impression of him as being someone who's very accurate and and very precise in giving feedback as to exactly what the car is doing or what it should be doing and and things of that nature. And you hear that about a very select group of racing drivers in Formula One, and for him to be mentioned there is is no surprise. And to see the results he's getting lately is also no surprise because I was I was doing a a preview going into Monza and. His run of form at the moment has a lot of people thinking he's generally a mid, a, a upper mid pack performer. He's at the sharp end of the mid pack now on a regular basis in equipment that has no business being there. So Matthew's absolutely right about um, if if Williams get a a sudden windfall of budget, Alex Albon is going to be someone to look out for. In fact, perhaps the entire team if 
if the whole driver setup comes around. Mm. Now, I've specifically mm. left this team to our last discussion uh, when it comes to Monza, and that's Ferrari. Because, shame, I feel like we've been taking them out week after week, giving them such negative feedback, Matthew. Um, and then out of nowhere, they literally shone. I mean, to get Carlos Sainz in pole position going into race weekend, that's an amazing achievement for Ferrari in their 2023 season. Look, uh, besides the McDonald's uniform, I was quite impressed with what they did and what they were able to achieve for the weekend. Um, look, it was a special livery for their um, the World Endurance Challenge car. But the thing that Ferrari are very good at is emotion, heritage, and their fans, tofosi slash people, if you call it that. So we knew going into Monza... That's their home turf. It's low down force track. They know it like the back of their hand. And they literally had a meeting and said, look, we don't care what we have to do. You guys are going to throw every piece of development at this car because we need to win or get on podium for home ground. And that's exactly what they did. We knew Ferrari are bringing some serious tweaks and upgrades and they were bringing their very best specifically for this race and that's what we saw which is kind of sad because we expect this treatment for them to have that same mentality for all the races and all mm. the tracks but they decided to do this for Monza and it did pay off look there was a little bit of a weird sword fight towards the end and everyone was yeah we'll like, get into that I'm very confused uh, as to what happened there yeah it was it was a bit it was a bit silly but at, at the end of the day they achieved their goal probably not with their golden boy but they did get a Ferrari on the podium and you could see by the crowd's reaction. No one cared about Max. They were just like, yeah, cool. He won. As soon as Carlos gets on, everyone just explodes. And then the smoke cans go up and the flag. So for them, it was just about that objective. Going to Monza, making sure one of the homeboys win with their home car, and making sure that at the end of the day, they can take that back to Ferrari's hometown and say, hey, look, we got our man this year for the 2023 season that's dominated by Red Bull. We got him on the podium, and that's the job done. So I think that's all they wanted to do. For them, they know that the battle's lost. Half the season is done. They have no chance of getting P1, P2. So for them, it's just about bragging rights and for them to say, well, we won at our home race, and that's it. And to get the McDonald's uniform etched into history. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, let's talk about that little spat that they had towards the end of the race. Now, do you think that Ferrari had it in their mind that, okay, cool, we're going to do all of these upgrades, we're going to get on the podium, we're going to get on pole position, we're going to have these all cool accolades, but as Matthew says, we won it with our golden boy. And then Carlos Sainz was like, hell no, I want this, I worked for it, it's mine. Carlos Sainz was absolutely right to do that. Any, any driver in their right mind. I think would have done the same, given the context of the weekend. We can start with the fact that Carlos Sainz pretty much set up that car for Monza. They were using his setup based on the pace he was able to find from Friday onwards. And he'd absolutely earned some level of respect, I think, during the race when it came to decision-making, when to pit, etc. But more so, I think, giving taking him as the priority driver for, the, for however the race would pan out. Now, of course, things swung back in favour for Charles Leclerc in the sense that he was basically cooking his ties behind the me the mess that um, Carlos was making by defending so profusely early on and at the later stage in the race. So Charles definitely did have a lot more pace when it came to tires and he definitely could have challenged, I think. 
but at the same time you you kind of I, I I kind of sympathize with with Carlos because it was a bit like being thrown under the bus. It was like he's worked the entire weekend to get the team into yeah. this position. And he does have a, a genuine chance to earn that podium position. And should it then matter um that who is on the podium at that point when in essence he has made the first move to say here's something for the team, a car to be set up and that has the pace for the weekend. So why not then in return to that say, okay, here's another thing for the team. You, the quote-unquote second driver, take that podium position as opposed to the golden boy. I think they, they had to be fair and understand, at least from coming from that point. But at the same time, you're like, this is Ferrari, and not just the Formula One team, but for the corporation's biggest PR exercise pretty much of the year. So you, you'd be forgiven um, they can be forgiven rather for wanting it to be pretty much pristine. I can imagine this was tabled on a boardroom meeting and everybody was there. Um, but I think Carlos, things swinging Carlos's way, I think this was just the perfect way for the weekend to finish. And it was the fair way for, for it to finish where, where he was concerned. Matthew, what do you call it? A, a bad a bad relationship? What, is, what do you normally call it? A dirty marriage. That's what I like to call it. It's a very dirty <laughs> marriage. And I'll add on to what Prince is saying. And, and, and I do understand what's happening at Ferrari. However, Carlos has nothing to lose simply because everyone knows that it's no secret that he's probably going to go to Audi in 2026. So he's just going to try and knock a few things out the park. And he knows... Charles Leclerc is pretty much the Max Verstappen of Ferrari, so he's going to be there till 2000 and whoever. But <laughs> Carlos is kind of seen as that imposter. He, he's the one yeah. who's like, mm, we don't want you to be on the podium. We prefer Charles, but if you have to, cool. You can, you can carry the weight of the team. So that's why you're seeing a lot of disobedience in the marriage. That's why you're seeing the arguments in the car. You know, those awkward conversations that you see people inside the car. <laughs> yes. and they're having a fight with their husband and wife and then they get out and then they're out the car and they close the door and they're like, hey, everything is cool. Yeah, tough race, cool. But then behind closed doors, different story. <laughs> All right, let's let's leave the, the past friction and look forward to uh, the future friction because I know we're going to have a lot of drama that's going to happen in Singapore. Um, but one thing we do need to celebrate is, of course, it's, um, it's Sergio Perez's 250th Grand Prix, which is a great milestone for him as a driver. And this race happening in Singapore will also give him the record of being Max Verstappen's longest ever teammate. Now, that's an achievement all on its own, uh, Matt. Look, it's, it's massive. Look, he is the Mexican sensation, the minister of street defense, whatever you want to call him. But with him being 250 Grand Prix appearances, it's a massive one because it puts him into the elite group of drivers who've done this. So people like Lewis Hamilton, Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, Michael Schumacher and Vettel have done 250 Grand Prix. So for him to do it, you know, it's quite an achievement. He's been in the sport for a very long time. People don't think he has. But also he's just, again, like with his record, he stood the test of time. He's also Max Verstappen's longest standing driver of three years He's got a contract till the end of 2024. So that's something to take away. I think for Sergio as well, he knows he's, he could be world champion with someone, but at this time, he's seeing that he's achieved everything that he's wanted in the sport. He was in a team that couldn't get him onto the podium. He did an amazing job with Racing Point. Then he joined Red Bull and he started getting consistent podiums. So for him at his age, this is just his golden era. He's basically evolving into an Alonso where he's just 
having the best time of his life. He's at the top team. He's performing in the top car. And for him, it's just, you know, pat on the back. Well done. Do you think he's ever going to get a championship, though? He's 33 at the moment. He's sitting pretty in Red Bull. He's not going to be the number one driver there for very ever, let's say that. Do you think there's a championship in, in his sights? I don't think so. Look, given his age, uh, look, he could if he brings a lot of himself and he's got the right car. Look, 2026, there could be development, but also he hasn't signed until then. But he's just got to show it, you know, for the first time. Max has been able to have a consistent partner and someone who's actually been able to challenge him consistently when he's got it right. So whether he can be world champion, that's up for debate. But he can do it with the right team and he's got the right team. But again, I just think he's just there to enjoy his time. He knows that he's not going to be world championship material, but I think he can be podium finisher. And Mm. if you're a Formula One driver, when you get into the sport, any driver... You're going to say to yourself, I'll be world champion. But there comes a point to yourself when you're like, look, I've made it into Formula One and this is the pinnacle of motorsport. So maybe I'm Logan Sargent. Maybe I'm Liam Lawson. I'm not going to be a Max Verstappen and get P1, P1, P1 all the time. But if I race this season, there is the potential of me getting a podium finish. And that for me is the achievement I've always won since I've started karting. So I don't think there'll be a, a, a world championship, but I think podiums is a very, very good thing to have. And look at it this way. In 2023, Prince, he's going to be part of probably one of the most amazing records ever created in Formula One. And that is one particular team winning all the races in a specific season. And Chico was responsible for, what, three of those races already this year? Which very few, like Matthew was saying, very few drivers enter that ilk or enter that circle where you've got the silverware to speak for your actually being in Formula One. I mean, so for him to be able to contribute for this era of Red Bull is going to speak volumes for him as, I think, in hindsight, unfortunately, because, again, as Matthew was saying, he's in his golden years, you know, and a lot of a lot of the time a driver like Perez goes underappreciated and his driving style, the, the time where he comes in to shine also goes underappreciated and that's being king of the streets type of situation. So if things go awry for Max this weekend like it did Last year in Singapore, Sergio is definitely someone to come in and pick up, pick up and shine for Red Bull, um, whatever the situation may be. Uh, of course, the track changes, which I guess we'll, we'll touch on in a bit, are going to come in and perhaps affect um, his driving style. But I think he is definitely a driver of, of a generation that also, unfortunately, can fall by the wayside. You, you forget that they're there, so to speak. Like people will forget how long Daniel Ricciardo, for example, has been in the sport because he, they also come in into an era where there's your Alonso's at their peak, there's your Kimi Raikkonen's relatively there, there's your Lewis Hamilton's. So you forget that there are talents such as Sergio Perez, and they they by and large go unsung. And I think when when Red Bull signed him, I was one of the people who was like, this potentially could be the strongest driver pairing for that we've seen for a very long time. Something to challenge, for example, a, a Lewis Hamilton Valtteri Bottas combination, purely because of the area in which Sergio was. You want to sign a very mature driver who understands their role in the team and will play it to the fullest. And you saw the last race of 2021, how he defended with everything he had. And you've seen a number of races where he defends with everything he has for the sake of the team. But apart from that, his ability to deliver when he needs to. But I don't think he's been that driver this season 
um, Christian Horner calls him a confidence driver. So whatever happens on Friday, it knocks on into his results on the Sunday. And he hasn't necessarily been able to put those together this year. Uh, Singapore is going to be his chance, I think, to revive that and possibly get a decent run towards the close of the year. So I'm, I'm just fingers crossed that it does turn around for him and he speaks better for himself, I think, as, as a viable option for Red Bull going into the long-term future. So there's two things that I want to touch on here um, because, Prince, you brought this up now and, Matthew, you touched on this, the second item a little earlier on in the show and that's two massive things that we are going to be seeing this weekend in Singapore. One is the track changes. Now, of course, there's some construction work that's happening around the Singapore track. We have already know that Singapore is a street track, so that means that there's some areas where there's been a couple of diversions. Uh, a couple of corners have been taken out, and this now becomes one long straight, which gives overtaking opportunities. And the second thing I wanted to touch on that Matt touched on was the fact that a lot of teams are bringing upgrades to this particular race. It's kind of the last race in the season uh, before we start doing a lot of massive long-haul flights. Um, I think the shortest next flight in the season is seven hours. Um, so we're going from Singapore into some very long-distance racing. Um, this is all going to come together in a mashup of craziness, Matthew. Look, it's going to be all out. I know AlphaTauri are bringing a massive upgrade, which is going to be similar to the RB18 slash RB19. So they're going to be bringing a lot to it. And like I said, teams are going to be bringing their all because they know where the championship for P1 is going to go to. So for them, it's vital points. So on that championship ladder, depending on how you place, that's how much money you'll get for next year's development. So if you can bring something where you know the circuit is unknown, there's changes coming through to it, you have a chance of pulling a Pierre Gasly. Remember him from AlphaTauri um, Alpha at um, Monza, where he surprisingly got a P1. And everyone's like, listen, own it, deserve it. These things don't come. But also those points help them tremendously develop that car. So there's a lot to play for. And also with Singapore being an incredibly difficult track, it's going to be very, very interesting. People who are used to that sort of climate will get acclimatized quite quickly. But it is hot. It's sweaty. It's at night. It's very, very hard on the brakes and tires. So you really have to know what you're doing. And on a street circuit, it's really about taking risks. Because on a traditional circuit, you know, you can kind of follow the flow of the circuit and you can wait for your chance. You can follow the driver, then go for the move. But on a street circuit, it's a little bit more tricky. And of course, you know, when you're looking in, and it's one important thing when you're looking at the street circuit, Prince, there's someone like Checo that's on your tail. As as Matthew said, what is he? The, the de head of department for street circuit. What did you call him just now? He's the Minister of Street Defense. Minister of Street Defense. <laughs> when you've got something like that in your in your review mirror, and then of course you're trying to battle it out on, on a track that has a good chance of rain on Friday, a good chance of rain on Saturday, and then a blistering hot day on Sunday into the evening, race weekend. It's it's a lot of craziness. Absolutely. And I think Charles Leclerc learned the hard way last year trying to chase him. Um, I'd, I'd imagine if you were to qualify ahead of him this time around, it would be even more difficult because it's it definitely is Sergio's hunting ground. Now, you don't want to be a Ferrari generally, I think, going into the circuit because it's <laughs> relatively, <laughs> one, you in Ferrari, that I think speaks for itself too. 
it's a real limited circuit and it's going to chow a lot a lot out of them going out of the corners and your higher downforce cars of course are going to enjoy that i think the sharp end of the mid pack is going to be a bit better but it's going to be very close between those but i think ferrari is going to rue the fact that they haven't had a car that's been able to overcome their tire management issues and it's going to be vital with with this race so perhaps they may be throwing a lot more into uh track position so qualifying trying to qualify as well as possible so that they can benefit from how difficult it is to overtake at the circuit. And if the rain comes in, perhaps all the better. But you need some really, really sharp strategic um, strategic reflexes if it, if it does come down to that. And Ferrari hasn't been the best or don't have the best reputation, at least when it comes to those things. So it, it, there are a lot of gambles that perhaps could come their way. I mean, Singapore has served, I think, for the past 10 years running, if I'm not mistaken, um, a, a safety car in each and every Grand Prix. We've had a, 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 um, a safety car in each and every Singapore Grand Prix for the past 10 years. So that speaks about just the reputation the track has and its ability to mix things up, um, the weather and another thing altogether. But overall, I think my interest is definitely going to be in that sharper end of the mid-pack battle where you're coming to a circuit where apparently Mercedes, for example, perform well. Um, it kind of suits them. McLaren also seem to be better off there. They struggle a lot more with the high-speed circuits. So does um, Aston Martin. So there's going to be an interesting battle there from, from qualifying all the way through to the Sunday. And I, I think Mercedes may come up on up, up come out tops there based on the ability to have better race pace overall. But it's going to be a very close battle there. Mm-hmm. Prince is already leading us into the the last thing we talk about on an F1 track this podcast, and that is predictions. Matthew, I think you must take the lead here. Look, uh, interestingly enough, 2022 was great because Minister of Street Defense Sergio Perez was the only person to who was a non-world champion to win a race from Max. So I think he's going to do it again. I think he's got a very, very high chance of snapping his streak up and not letting Max get his 11th. So if there's anyone who can break it, uh, I think it'll be Sergio. So I'm going to put a lot of faith. He hasn't won since Azerbaijan. So I'm going to go Sergio for P1 to break Max's streak. I'm going to put Max as P2. And then interestingly enough, I'm going to put Lewis as P3 because I know the McLarens are going to suffer. That car is terrible in the heat. And this is a very, very stressing car for that and i'm not going to put the ferraris anywhere than six and seven (laughs) for me i think it's going to be sergio p1 max p2 and i'm going to put a cheeky lewis p3 because i think after his contract signing and him knowing this circuit as well as he does because look if you go look at past things he's done some phenomenal things there and he knows it like the back of his hand so it's going to be Sergio, Max, Lewis, George for me. Interesting. Prince, let's hear it. I've heard a sneaky. I also think that Checo is going to be number one there. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's, he, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, worked so hard dominating these type of circuits and earning that title for nothing. I think he's definitely going to defend his title as king of the street defense. Um, so definitely a win for, for Sergio. In second place, it's an obvious one. Where Max Verstappen is concerned, I think he's he's in just incredible form. It's it's history making. It's and something other analysts point out is that his mindset 
when it comes to approaching Formula One at the moment is very different because he's had a very dominant entry and dominant, I suppose, I can't say if this is the mid phase of his career or not, but he's just in a very good state of mind in a nutshell and is able to manage things a lot better. So anything less than a podium for Max or anything less than a one or two for Max is just hard to imagine. Um, in third place, I think that's where the most interesting um, situation is going to come in. And I'm going to put George Russell's name there simply because of the confidence booster he may have gotten over the past couple of races. He hasn't had the best uh, run of form overall. So Monza would have been a very good result um, for him and boosted him slightly. I think he's going to bring it home in terms of podium for Mercedes. Interesting. No one talking about a Lando in a McLaren there? Ah, no. Nah, look. Reach. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> I, I, I personally don't see it. Um, I Look, personally, I know that car. The car doesn't do well in heat. That's why you've always seen, if you look at the consistency of the McLaren, the McLarens have always performed very well in wet weather or weather where it's cooled because the car can't manage the heat well. So mm. in, in a car that makes so much heat and it's a cooler temperature track, then it can do well. But in a night circuit with incredible humidity like this and something that's already going to be stressing on brakes and tires, uh, Lando's not exactly the best with tire management, neither is his teammate. So I don't place them anywhere seventh or eighth, uh, nothing higher for me. And no Aston. It's tricky because I've kind of seen Aston lose form. I've got no hope for Lance Stroll, so there's no contract for him next year. <laughs> Nothing is ever been signed. But I, I don't know. Al- Alonso is, for me, It's he had that like, okay, wow, he, he's going to be a P3, P2 contender. But Alonso's kind of dropped in a way, and I, I don't know what it is because he won't do well in practices. He won't do well in, in, in sort of qualifying. And when I say not well, he'll place top 10. But then in the race, he'll either place P4 and then there's a safety car and then he drops back and then there's bad tire strategy. So I'll, I'll, I'll sneak in probably between P4, P5 for me. I can confidently say that unless uh, um, he doesn't get the opportunity to wedge the Mercedes. But I think it'll be um, if Lewis is third, I'd put him in fourth and then I'll put George uh, fifth probably. That's where I'd place him. Interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to go with Max's poll or Max's the win because just to be different from you guys, then um, I'm going to go with Checo as second. Um, Also, because I feel like Max is not going to let Checo get this one. I feel like somewhere deep down, Max really wants to get as many of the the wins as he can in his pocket. um, And he's not going to let Checo really, if Checo does take it, he's not going to take it easily. Let's put it that way. And then I do agree with you guys on Mercedes. I really feel like it's either going to be a George or a Lewis. I would like to see a Lewis up there. Um, so I think we're kind of all in the same mindset going into this weekend. I think it's going to be interesting. I think that long straight is going to give a lot of overtaking opportunities and a lot of create a lot of drama on the track, which, to be honest, I think we kind of need it. We're, we're getting a little bit bored watching Formula One every Sunday. Uh, and I think the change in track layout is really going to um, impress people. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We absolutely hope for that. I think that brings us to the end of a great Formula One uh, or track this F1 track this episode. Thank you so much for joining me um, and enjoy Singapore. Max could be walking away with the championship. Let me just tell you how that's going to happen quickly. Um, if Max Verstappen wins this race and then 
a Red Bull score a 1-2, and Mercedes failed to score any points. Max Verstappen, oh, the Red Bull team, will walk away with the Constructors' Championship in Singapore. So a lot has got to happen this weekend. Let's keep our eye on all those stats and all those funny mathematician thingies we need to focus on in order for points to, to go in Red Bull's favor. But, Jens, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate your time. Such a pleasure, Kriya. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And nice to meet you, Prince. This was awesome. Let's do it again next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it.